The first question is, what are some tools or appliances we can't live without? What are some tools or appliances that we can't live without? Fridge. Fridge, okay. <laughs> Gotta have it cool, right? Cold water, okay. Appliances, tools or appliances? Fridge is a good one. Hmm? Stove, okay. Knife? Okay. What else? Microwave. Microwave. I thought that would have been the first one. <laughs> microwave. You know, we love those microwaves. My son stopped using the microwave because he read something somewhere that there was some kinds of stuff. And so he doesn't use it. He got himself a, a, a toaster oven. Uh, his wife still uses the microwave, but he doesn't use the microwave anymore. Uh, so those are some of the tools that we appliances that we can't live without and then of course those who are into mechanical stuff like mechanics and engineers they they have to have their tools uh, so those are some of the things that we can live without the point of our lesson today on the top of page 38 God does not leave us on our own but what Okay, he empowers us through his spirit. Notice where the power comes from. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And of course, we remember the Bible tells us that we ought not to grieve the Holy Spirit. If you do that, then you're not going to get the power that is necessary. Bible meets light, page 38. Someone read that, please. My wife's parents came to listen. We leave busy lives, so my inmost thought they would help by vacuuming the house while we were at work. Not a problem, since we bought a brand new vacuum cleaner the day before. When we came home, they were sitting on the couch, red-faced, sweating, and exhausted. <laughs> the new vacuum cleaner is so heavy we can hardly push it. We had to sit down and rest after vacuuming the room. <laughs> My wife and I began to laugh. This brand new vacuum cleaner has a great feature. Of the power assist that makes vacuuming almost effortless. It only takes a feather-like touch to push the system. My in-laws, however, were trying to vacuum the entire house in neutral. <laughs> they never put it in drive. How many us do the same thing in our spiritual lives? God has given us an incredible power, a supernatural power, in His Holy Spirit. This power is there for us all the time. We simply need to use it. You wonder after doing the first room, <laughs> where they figure, you know, this is not working. All right? This is too much work. It should be a lot easier. Right? Okay, let's look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 13, verses 14 to 17. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened power in the inner man through his spirit. And that the mess, the Messiah may dwell in your heart through faith, 
I pray that you be rooted and firmly established in love. Okay, now notice what the inner man is, verse 16. See that little caption there, it tells us what the inner man is. Paul is referring to the eternal, the eternal nature that all people possess. He was not referring to the eternal nature that all people possess, but was talking about the redeemed spiritual nature of believers, which is accomplished through the work of spiritual renewal by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we have that inner man, that inner person. Anytime we, we get up, we find ourselves in a situation uh, where we have to make choices. And uh, we always find ourselves in a situation, you have to make choices. And, and sometimes people make the wrong choice. And then they realize that afterwards they would make a statement like, you know, one mind told me I should have done that. You know who that one mind is? The Holy Spirit. But they chose to do otherwise. That one mind would be that inner man that Paul is referring to here. Uh, so when we find out that the decision that we made was the wrong one, then we find out that the person that we were listening to was the wrong person. It wasn't the inner man, it was the old man. So you got the inner man and the old man, or the inner person and the old person. That old Adamic nature has not been eradicated, still there, lurking, waiting to get an opportunity to act on his own and to do that which is contrary to the Spirit of God. And so we need to be cautious and be careful to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one that we are listening to. Okay, let's look at uh, page 40. And uh, those paragraphs on page 40. Someone read that please. Page 40. What is power? Ask that of anyone on the street and they'll probably give you a definition and items of either energy or influence. In the sense of energy, power is the ability to get up and get moving. In terms of influence, power is the ability to exert your will on that of another. As Christians, however, we need a different kind of power in order to live the way God designed us to live. To put it simply, we can't live the Christian life in our own strength. We need another source of power. Or, as Paul phrased it in verse 16, we need to be strengthened in the inner man. The good news is that God who is rich in glory, is also rich in power and strength. The Holy Spirit gives us access to God's power for our lives. But just because the Spirit lives in us doesn't necessarily mean we are fully experiencing everything He has for us. God's power is always available, but we don't always rest in that power. Like a vacuum cleaner stuck in neutral, we often forget to apply the Spirit's power to our lives. We try to make things happen through our own strength. So how do we take advantage of the power available to us? We experience the Spirit's power as we continually surrender control of our lives to God. When we submit to Christ's Lordship and stop relying on our own resources, we put ourselves in the position for God to do His work in us and through us. 
As we rely on the Holy Spirit, we are strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. Verse 16. As a result, the Father leads us into an ever-deepening experience with Christ. Learning to live and rely on the Spirit's power is a lifelong journey. You learned to walk when you were a small child, but that learning process didn't happen overnight, and it didn't happen without someone helping you. Both of these things are true of spirit, spirit uh, of us spiritually. We might be spiritual toddlers right now, but God's will is for us to grow up into walkers and for us not to do it alone. I'll repeat that again. We're not alone. God the Father dwells in our hearts through his Son and empowers us through his Spirit, and that's good company. Okay. And the, take note of this first three uh, paragraphs. It talks about what power is. It defines what power is. And many people have different definitions of what power is. In a sense, power is... Uh, in a sense of energy, power is the ability to get up and get moving. In terms of influence, power is the ability to exert your will on that of another. Uh, I think it was Saturday morning, I was at home and I got a call on my work cell phone. And um, uh, my daughter brought the phone to me and said, your phone is ringing. And when I answered it, it was the security at... Um, one of the properties that I manage, and uh, I had access to the guy who cleans the cars to go and clean the vehicle for me. And uh, the security, he called me and said the security wouldn't let him in. And uh, and so he let me talk to her, and she said, I just got a memo that I'm not supposed to let anybody on the property clean cars. <laughs> so, um, so I said, uh, well, you know, this guy, he's always there. I mean, he's been doing this for years. Uh, why all of a sudden now he can't come on? So she said, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I just got the memo. Uh, so uh, she said, uh, but if, if you say so, I'll, I'll, I'll let him in. You know, and uh, that's one of the things that we talk about power here. Power is the ability to exert your will over and over. She didn't have to do that. Okay, but he decided, you know, I'm going to call my boss. My boss is going to talk to you. My boss can get me straight. My boss is going to get me in. Of course, I'm not his boss. He's just, you know, that's something that he always does. But um, that's one of the things that we have, and it's one of the things that is abused today a lot. Because people have authority and they have power over others. And, uh, and that's one of the definitions that is used for power here. Uh, as Christians, however, we need a different kind of power in order to live the way God designed us to live. So we're not going to live that abundant life unless we use the power that God gives us to live the abundant life by. You know, some people get saved and they wonder why, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that and I don't have, I thought the Bible says that I would have this and I would do that. Uh, but they never examine the fact that they're not using the power that God has given them in the way that God intended for them to use it. That power is being either misused or abused. So it says we need another power source. Or as Paul phrased it in verse 16, we need to be strengthened in the inner man. Good news is that God, who is rich in glory, is also rich in the power and strength. Now, one of the things we notice in verses, this, these verses that we look at through uh, 14 to 17, 
Paul wrote his letter to believers at Ephesus because he had a strong personal investment in that church. Uh, we see that in Acts chapter 18 and also Acts 19. On those passages we see the, 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 the development of that relationship that Paul had uh, with the believers. And because he had heard that false teachers were active in that region, his ears perked up when he heard that. Because he knew that the believers there was in trouble. Those who had put his personal energies in to be able to get them to the point that they were, were now being threatened by false teachers. Paul's letter reflects his common approach that of the beginning with doctrinal teachings followed by practical applications. So he begins with the doctrinal teachings of the word and then he gets down to earth as it were and gives them some practical guidelines or practical instructions or practical how-tos in how to deal with that. And so in verses 14 and 15, Paul resumed the prayer that he had started in chapter 3 and verse 1. He was kneeling before the Father, a position of humility, prostrating before the Father. The more common position of prayer for the Jews was standing. Paul, in this case, was kneeling to show his humility before the Father. And so kneeling was a sign of more intense prayer. And we note even today, uh, when a person really wants to really get a hold of feel that they need to really get a hold of God and get God's attention, they prostrate themselves, they get down on their knees. And Paul, Paul was deeply concerned about the spiritual vitality of his friends in Ephesus. And so he prostrated himself before the Father. He further elaborated that he was kneeling before and praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And the view of God as Father was the utmost, was of utmost importance to Paul. And he stressed that over and over and over in his ministry. The additional description from whom every family in heaven on earth is named could refer to God's role as creator over everything. Truly, all life comes from God the Father. He is the one that is attributed to creating all life on earth. And then when we look at verse 16, we see that Paul prayed first that God would, be, God would strengthen the Ephesians with power, that they would be strengthened with power. He identified the means by which this empowering would take place through his spirit. Paul asked God to give, the, give them power according to the riches of his glory. To see God's glory is to see him as truly as he is in goodness and in grace. And we see an, an example of that in, in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 33. God's love, grace, goodness, and compassion are endless toward those who trust in him. And we are reminded of that in, in Psalm 103. Paul also asked God to supply the power the Ephesians needed out of the limitless, glorious wealth of his own nature. Whatever God has to provide us for us from is limitless. And we need to remember that. God doesn't run out of stuff. And sometimes we think that, you know, so many people are asking God for this. I wonder if we have enough. God never runs out of his grace, his mercy, his resource, 
of his glorious wealth is limitless. And so Paul specifically prayed that God would strengthen the Ephesians with his power in the inner man through the spirit. When writing of the inner man, Paul was talking about the redeemed spiritual nature of believers accomplished through the work of spiritual renewal by the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Romans chapter 8. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote about the outer person as being destroyed, but our inner person is being renewed day by day. Each day the inner person is renewed over and over. All of us are created with a spiritual nature, but only Jesus' followers have experienced the radical newness of being spiritually reborn. And that's according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. And then the first part of verse 17, Paul continues his prayer by asking that the Messiah dwell in the hearts of the Ephesians. No better place for them to dwell than in the hearts of his people. The word dwell implies Christ's continual and permanent residence in believers, not hit and miss. Permanent and continual. Again, Paul was not asking for God to save his friends. They were already saved. They were already believers. What they needed was to sense Jesus' presence in their hearts on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. In their hearts, in their spiritual nature, they were to receive spiritual understanding. Don't you think we all need that today? We need spiritual understanding moment by moment because so much stuff is going on in the world today. The devil is throwing stuff at us faster than we can identify them. Okay, so we need that spiritual understanding moment by moment. And that's what the believers at Ephesus were going through and Paul was praying that God would provide it. We can study the Bible all day long, every day, and still not understand God's eternal truths. And that happens. People are doing it every day, and they still not understand it, or see the reality of God's unfathomable riches. And that's why we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We can only grasp, we can only begin to grasp who God is and what he offers when we look at it all through the eyes of faith with the enablement of God the Holy Spirit, our indwelling resident theologian. He's the one that teaches. He's the one that unlocks the truth for us. I know sometimes we think we do it on our own, but he's the one that does that. And that's why Paul is saying that we need to rely on him. Question number two, page 40. What does it say? Okay, and we could rephrase that. When was the last time you felt empowered by the Holy Spirit? You were in a situation and you needed God's help and you cried out before God and God allowed you to experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in that particular situation. Anybody? Recently? No one? Okay. What does it look like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, Brother Randy, I, I trust that we all walk in the power of the Spirit every day. We should. Yeah. We should. Depending on Him. 
Mm -hmm. Praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. Reading the word. Mm -hmm. We should. Mm -hmm. I sometimes when I'm sharing my faith, and sometimes when I'm challenging some of my family, I feel empowered by the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Good. That's normally when it happens. You know, when you are doing what God has called you to do. Remember, he says, I will bring these things to your remembrance. Uh, certain times you're talking to people and uh, you are able to remember passages of scripture that you can use to share with that person to bring light to that person's eyes. That's an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Now, we, don't, we may not identify it as fee feeling empowered by the Holy Spirit, but that's really what it is. Now, as the Beth said, when we walk in the Spirit every day, that's an empowerment that we have. But we don't identify it as such. Plug in, page 41. Paul's prayer was that you be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit. And the instructions here is record at least one example of disciples people and places that help you plug in to the Spirit's power. Mm -hmm. One example. Prayer. Prayer, okay. Reading the Word. Reading the Word. Sharing your faith. Sharing your faith, okay. Okay, we got spiritual disciplines that help you plug in. That is reading the word and prayer. And there are people who help you plug in. Who are some of the people that help you plug in? Godly people. Godly people, Sometimes okay. Pastor or yeah. Pastors. Sunday school teachers. Sunday school teachers, okay. People you hear on uh, Christian radio stations. Okay, ministers of the word on, on, on uh, Christian media. Literature. Literature, okay, reading. Uh, okay, places that help you plug in. Church. Church. Okay, church would be one of one. My prayer room. My prayer room. Okay. I think uh, Christian uh, retreats like and camps. Okay, Christian retreats and camps. Okay, they're designed to help you plug in. That's right. Okay, what obstacles are currently preventing you from being empowered by the Spirit more deeply? Neglect of those things. <laughs> okay. Neglect in spiritual disciplines. Okay. No one would be ought to be doing and not doing it. Okay. And remember what the Bible says about that? He who knew it to do good and doeth it not, to him it is, it is sin. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, verses 17b to 19 on page 39. And that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Page 39. See, Pastor. Remember? Page 39. The second half of verse 17. Okay, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, 
being leader and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. 19. And to love the Messiah, Messiah's love, that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and above. Okay, you can stop right there. Notice question number three. What are the similarities, differences between the way we love and the way God loves? What are the similarities and differences between the way we love and the way God's love? God loves. Okay, look at the verse that we just read. I pray that you may be rooted and firmly established in love. And then it goes on in verse 18, May you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, depth of God's love. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so what are the similarities and differences between the way we love and the way God loves. We love often beyond the knowledge that you have. There, there may be a person who you know about, people know about, and they think, how could you love them? You love them. Mm -hmm. So in that way, we have a love that's similar to God. Right. Okay. I'm not understanding you. Um, I might have a son Let's pretend I have a son who has done heinous things, and people go, who could love that person? But I could love him even though I still have the knowledge of who, what he has done. Amen. That is like God's love. Okay, yeah, that's love. that love is similar to God's love. Okay, because God knows all about us, but he loves us nonetheless. Okay? All right, uh, let's look at the paragraphs on page uh, 42 and uh, read those, please. It's strong winds. Strong winds can be dangerous for most trees, but you may have noticed that one tree may get knocked down in the yard while another tree stands firm not even 10 feet away. What made the difference? The roots. The deeper the roots go, the sturdier the tree will be. The roots also matter for Christians. As the psalmist described, an obedient follower of God is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bear its fruits in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, Psalms are on the tree. Where are your roots? What gives you the stability and nourishment? Paul wrote them, Paul wrote that when we are empowered by God's Spirit and Jesus dwells in our hearts, we become rooted and firmly established in love. When the winds of difficulties and even opposition blows us, the love we experience through Christ keeps us grounded and strong. Paul's prayer for us is not that we would have this love, it's already ours in Christ, but that we would comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width 
with height and the depth of God's love, Lucas 18. We can talk about the dimensions or directions of God's love, but we can't define its limits. Paul desires us, Paul's desire is for us to know the Messiah's love, but be contented that such love surpasses knowledge in verse 19. How can we know something that exceeds how can we know something that exceeds knowing? That sounds like an oxymoron, a contradiction of terms such as a jumbo shrimp and the plastic silverware. <laughs> the answer is that we can know that the truth of God's love, even though we will never fully know it, we can continually be discovering the depths of God's love without ever touching God. In other words, God's love is something we can't fully explain, but something we can fully experience. Amen? Okay, so Paul ended his prayer with a series of petitions, verse 17b. He ended his prayer with a series of petitions that all had one common theme. What is that theme? One common theme. He ended his prayer in verse 17b. Love. That's right. Specifically, he prayed that God's love, that God's kind of love would be the foundation of our lives. He used two metaphors to describe this foundation being rooted and being firmly established. Two, being firmly rooted and firmly established. Roots provide what? What does the new roots provide? Nourishment. That's right. Roots provide nourishment and strength that enable a plant to remain firm throughout any kind of storm. In the same way, love provides the atmosphere in which we can mature as believers. So whenever you find a person who's not that, not, not that mature in their Christian walk, love could be the missing element. It gives us the base to stay faithful when Satan attempts to attack us. Would the word be our nourishment? Hmm? Would the word be? Can we get our nourishment through the word? Yeah, we get our nourishment through the word. God's kind of love in Christ is to be our spiritual foundation. As we allow the Holy Spirit to renew us, he will develop spiritual key qualities in our lives. And we find those key qualities in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, fruit, singular. However, the greatest of these is love, according to 1 Corinthians 13. Remember that passage? List all of these qualities and in the end of it says, but the greatest of these is love. And then in verse 18 and 19, once the foundation of love is established, Paul prayed that God would enable the Ephesians to comprehend the immenseness of God's love. How immense, how vast God's love is. To stress the greatness of his love, Paul used physical descriptions of length and width and height and depth. The meaning of these words has much been debated, but in the end, 
They direct us back to Paul's simple yet profound thought. The incalculable riches of the Messiah brought us, brought to us through God's limitless love. One other key phrase in this verse is with all the saints. And the word saints refers to followers of Jesus Christ. So forget about all those things that the Vatican is talking about, about making people saints. All believers are saints. Okay? All, we are all saints. Doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. The Bible says you are a saint. And the Pope don't have to do anything to make you a saint. Okay? God did that on his own. All right, let's look at the other paragraph on page 42. As we kind of wrap up because time is going. Well, question number four. How does your our connection with other believers deepen our experience of God's love? How does our connection with other believers deepen our experience of God's love? By sharing their experience. Sharing their experience. And that's a key element. When we share experiences of love, our relationship grows deeper. And it's all because of love. Final two paragraphs on page 42. Paul's desire for us is to know Messiah's love. But he contended that such love surpasses knowledge. Verse 19. How can we know something that exceeds knowing? As it says, it sounds like an oxymoron. A contradiction of terms such as jumbo shrimp. We never thought about jumbo shrimp in that terminology, right? A shrimp is something that's small, right? So how can it be jumbo? Okay. Like nice. Or plastic silverware. <laughs> the answer is that we can know the truth of God's love even though we will, we will never fully know it. We can, act, we can continually be discovering the depths of God's love without ever touching bottom. In other words, God's love is something we can't fully explain, but something we can fully experience in every sense of the word. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Yeah. Now to him, right. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Now notice the first paragraph from verse page forty-three. Paul summarizes the earlier verses of Ephesians chapter 3 and introduces verse 20 and 21. Do you hear Paul's excitement as he wraps up this prayer? He's already prayed that the Spirit would strengthen and empower us, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, and that we would increasingly comprehend and experience God's love. In verse 20, he affirmed God's power to answer each of those prayers and to do so in a way that goes far beyond what we can imagine. God is able. We can reject all thoughts of giving up or running away because God can do the impossible. Amen? Amen. Absolutely God can do the impossible. Okay, let's look at, uh, live it out on page 44. Our time is gone, so let's wrap it up here. God has promised to empower you through His Spirit. 
Consider the following options for taking advantage of that gift this week. Three, start each day with prayer. We do that, right? Make a commitment to pray at the beginning of each day this week. Use these moments to echo Paul's prayer that you can become more and more aware of God's presence and power in your life. That's number one. Start with mysterious prayer. Number two, surrender. Take a moment to evaluate whether you have been attempting to follow Jesus in your own power. If so, acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in your life and allow His Spirit to strengthen and empower you. In other words, don't take matters into your own hands. Surrender to the Spirit. And then set goals. As you pray for God's Spirit to empower your life, you may find it helpful to set specific goals that you can use in your conversations with God. Big goals. Make God-sized requests and then submit to His authority. Note, you may find it helpful to record these goals in the prayer request pages at the beginning of your study guide. Okay, notice, wrap up. It's a sad truth that so many Christians attempt to live out their faith in neutral. Remember the folks with the lawnmower, with the, with the vacuum cleaner? In neutral. Burning themselves out, exhausting themselves when they've got power. Don't be a part of that crowd. You have the immeasurable power of God's Holy Spirit in your life. The key is, use it. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you.